Welcome back to the Shadow Works Library. On today's bonus episode, I'm interviewing Michael Bullock, who shares his experience on the wisdom of failure. In other words, he uses failure to develop courage and as a means of self-discovery. We're going to be discussing breathwork, cold water immersion, and the spiritual awakening that can be the result of intentionally placing yourself in adversity. I'll have all the resources that were mentioned on the show notes. And I'm also going to include the podcast equipment that I'm using here as well, because Well, if you've been following the show, you might know that I'm a little bit of a snob when it comes to audio quality, and I'm so happy with the equation I've got going on now. It's super crispy. And so if you have your own show or you do a lot of Zoom stuff, this might be helpful for you. Okay, last thing for me before we get into it. If you're enjoying the show, a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen would be greatly appreciated. Thanks and enjoy the show. Michael Bullock, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thanks so much, Jess. I'm really looking forward to it. Honored to be here. Yay. All right, let's get started. So folks, for all of you who are listening, uh, Michael is the host of the Man of Mastery podcast, which is an awesome show for men or anybody who identifies as male. And I wanted to have him on the show here today to talk about his journey from being a very heady, cognitive, dominated human into finding more of that soul, um, soul healing, body work, kind of just like this reintegration of mind and heart. So Michael, how about we start off with what you do and we'll get a little bit into your life story. Yeah, sure. Let's, uh, we can start here and work, work back. Right. I, Mm. as you said, and, and again, thank you for having me on. I'm super excited to connect and, and talk more about what you do and connect what I do. And, and I think there's some really good overlap and, and I hope to contribute and, and learn at the same time here today. So what I do, you, you mentioned, I host the man of mastery podcast. So it, it is sort of, um, masculine focus, but it's pretty cool. We have a, we have a, about a 70, 30 audience. So I think it connects with a lot of people who are on this journey in life and, and wanting to think more about just how to be better humans. It's really about human performance. Right. And so this concept of a, journey in pursuit of self-mastery. It's a never-ending life journey. It's about, uh, you know, we're going to get into some of my background here. We can say Kaizen, the, the Japanese concept of continuous improvement, or just, you know, discipline and getting a little bit better every day. So for me, in my life, that means getting a little better every day at, at trying to be a, a better man, a better father, a better husband. And with what I do in the podcast and the mastery community that I run, uh, working with coaching men individually and, and groups of men. It's uh, it's about building better men ultimately, and hopefully out of that, a, a better world. My educational and my professional background is, you know, I followed the the prescribed, the traditional path, grew up in the, in the U.S., went to school in the U.S., worked a little bit in Canada, I have an engineering degree, I have an econ degree, I have an MBA, right? It's a very sort of heavy on the traditional education and went into the corporate world largely as a consultant. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of work in the energy industry across North America. So very much like the white collar, C-suite, uh, organizational change, uh, high impact project type of stuff, transformation projects, a lot of it technology heavy. So again, we're like really cognitive type of stuff. And I, I traveled extensively for work. But about seven years ago, six, seven years ago, I had a really weird sort of traumatic experience where I jumped on an airplane one Monday morning, normal stuff for me, jump on a plane, fly to work somewhere, 
And I sat down in my seat on this little regional jet out of LAX and suddenly felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like there was this weight on my chest. I feel like I couldn't get air in my lungs. You know, I started sweating, my heart races, I panic. And I was that guy that had to kind of stand up and, and say, hey, open the door, let me off this plane. I literally, they had to open the door, let me down the stairs to, to the tarmac and walk me back into the terminal. And then I'm faced with like, how do I get where I'm going and continue doing the work I do that was travel-based? How do I get home? And every time I would get on a flight, my head and my body went back to that same place of, of panic. So I went seeking, I don't know what I searched for. I don't know if I searched for resilience or mental toughness or breath practice or why can't I breathe or I don't remember, but it has kicked me off down a path of a journey of really exploring what, what's going on there. It's, it took me into breath practice. It took me into concentration practice, meditation, uh, awareness practices. And out of this, I, I suppose a very short version of fast forwarding over the last six or seven years has been, how do I reconnect my, my heart, my intuition, my spirit with my head and reintegrate in a, in a healthier, holistic way? And of course, out of that has sprung up so many new practices that have both been healing from a physical perspective and some past back back injuries and physical dramas and traumas to emotional healing, getting into awareness of some of the, we're going to talk about shadow, hopefully. And then how does all this show up, you know, relationally? Uh, and, and then the cool thing about this to kind of bring it back to where I started and uh, the corporate world is maybe all this seems a little ethereal, but it's so directly related. I, I, I at one point asked a question, like, how do we connect these dots? And it's a super direct line to how we show up and how we start to improve ourselves as humans to how we show up in every aspect of our life, including, and especially in our, in our businesses, we can be so much better personally. And it's uh, if you want to say like ROI, <laughs> there's huge payback in every area of life, including how we perform in our, in our work. So then I have to ask, why is it that some very successful, financially successful humans tend to be very disconnected from their intuition? And I would venture to say a little low on the consciousness scale. My take on that would be, it's a great question because I think this is where so many people and men in particular, uh, so I, I mentioned a little bit off air, I have a, a therapist, you know, traditional Western cognitive therapist who says, Michael, you're emotionally constipated. <laughs> and meaning like you're just not as in touch with your emotions as you should be, could be, and, and tend to suppress and block them. And I, I think that's a, what a lot of us do as a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between surviving and thriving, particularly coming out of or wherever we are in this whole COVID pandemic quarantine world, even more of us ended up in that place where to survive, we had to deny, distract, diminish, mm -hmm. right? And so when we bottle these things up, it gets us through, but then how do we clear that and heal that and release that? So my, my take on it is one reason why is we just don't teach this stuff. We don't teach it in school. We don't learn it as humans for the most part, as adults, we don't teach it to our children for the most part as a, as a culture and a society, you know, modern Western US Canadian society to our detriment. So why I think starts with what we learn 
and, and what we teach and, and choose to share. The other, and I think this is, this is where I came to as well, and this may resonate with some, you know, sort of midlife, mid-career folks. This is the other cool thing I've found in, in, in my demographic is it's skewing a lot younger than I expected as well. So I'm optimistic about that. I, I, I hope that's not just a reflection of crisis. I hope it's a reflection of a sort of positive outlook and people tackling these, these big questions a little bit earlier in their lives about purpose and fulfillment and, and getting re-energized because I, I believe what happens and the other answer to your why question is we follow that prescribed path and then we reach a level of comfort financial success or what we want to call success, what we think is sort of a pinnacle of career, of family, of marriage, of the house, the, you know, the tangible uh, view of success, the goods. And, and then we, you know, suddenly we look around and go like, is this it? What's next? And, and in that, what, what I believe we're really missing sort of the, you, you can't really see the summit for the clouds type of metaphor is, you know, we've reached some level of, of what we're going to call success that may not even have been defined by us, that really resonates into our soul and our purpose and our, our reason for, for each of us being here individually with, with superpowers and, and talents and something to contribute to this world is I think there's a blind spot there of, yeah, I think I'm at the top, but in reality, until we go and develop further and work further in these sort of integrated holistic human performance, human growth ways, we don't realize what we thought was success. Gosh, there's so much more beyond that that we could grow into. So mm-hmm. why maybe succinctly is lack of awareness of, of what more is out there? Let's pick your path here. Do you feel like you'd like to talk more about the person who found that top of the mountain, that prescribed top of the mountain, and is reevaluating it and needing to reassess why he or she's or they're even up there, or the young man or woman or anyone else who is in that holding pattern of not wanting to choose the wrong path and getting stuck in just mm. not doing anything. Pick your poison. Where do you want to go? Yeah, great question. Well, maybe you can guide me because in a in a way, I really feel like they're the same question. Ooh. I really feel like there are people who, who, I feel like there are people who are stuck at an entry point to some path. And there are others who feel like you know, maybe they've reached that metaphorical summit and they're stuck there. And when I say stuck, I think what this comes back to for me is we end up getting so busy frankly, you know, maybe this is getting cliche, but I I still love it that I hear people talk about we've become human doings instead of human beings. We get so busy in our modern lives and the things that are out there to distract us or allow us to distract ourselves, you know, whether it's too much work or uh, TV, Netflix, binging, porn, drinking, you know, whatever, choose your distraction that we're not allowing ourselves some time, some space to really feel, to really tune in, to really be aware. So to me, I I just come back to this foundation of, of practice and things we can start to do even just a little bit differently with not a, not a lot of extra time in our day, but some things that can be profound in the way they change our, our outlook on life and how we show up in life. And that can start to, 
allow us to heal and allow us to start to tune into what might inform the path for a young person or what might inform the next season of life for somebody who feels stuck, you know, sort of midlife. So before we get into the hows, I'd love to talk a little bit more about, well, I guess this is another how, how somebody might know that they're in this stuck pattern or that they're finding themselves very disconnected from their path. Yeah, it's, it's a great question because, and, and this is where maybe your work is so important, shadow work or, or maybe I'll say related to shadow work, what I often hear called a blind spot in awareness or, or meaning something we can't see in ourselves or can't see yet that maybe others can help us see. So I'll just take a, take a moment to emphasize this is where I think what you do is so important, where it's so important for people to have some humility and be, be willing to learn, be willing to grow, question, ask for help, whether that's a coach, whether it's a therapist who's another form of coach. And, and this is so intriguing to me because a lot of high performing people, especially a lot of guys have a, have a sports background, you know, from school, maybe other forms of competition. And of course, we always had coaches to help us perform. And then at some point in life, we forget about that. We, th- we think business is different. It doesn't need a coach. And men in particular, again, I'll, I'll paint it with a broad brush here, as many of us are maybe emotionally out of tune or, or emotionally constipated, many men also have a hard time asking for help. Right? Because we're supposed to provide and protect and have this role that maybe we don't recognize you know, the yin yang, the, the light, the shadow, the balance, the alignment that there are these multiple facets to everything, including we need to be ready to lead sometimes and follow others. We need to provide help, but we also need to be able to ask for help. And so without maybe asking for help or other perspectives, yeah, it's, it starts to become very hard to understand or recognize that, that maybe you're stuck, but we can ask it rationally, you know, where do you feel out of alignment? You know, where do you feel you're not maximizing a relationship? Where do you feel like your work relationships aren't as, as great as they could be? Where do you feel like you could, I don't know, accomplish more? And, and I hesitate to say that because that kind of gets back to this uh, sort of ratcheting up concept of success. The, the trouble with questions like that is I think, that, again, they're kind of cognitive and we have to find ways to really tap into what we deeply feel. And I think where we deeply feel, that's going to allow us to, to recognize more about where we may be spinning our wheels a little bit. So for me, as a, as a father, you know, some things that really feel very heavily for me is, is I'll get nostalgic about, oh, my, you know, my son is, gosh, he's growing up so quickly, you know, and you think like, gosh, where'd the time go? Like that really weighs on me. And so when I feel that, it's, it's for me an opportunity to tune into like, well, you know, how have I showed up for his 13 years so far? And where would I, where would I like to do more of time spent with him in a quality manner? So I'll give you a quick example. We took five days. My son and I went to the mountains with some other fathers and sons and off the grid, cell phones didn't work. So we got to really connect between father and son and sort of this tribe of men and young men and run around the mountains and play in the dirt and throw rocks and fall (laughs) down and, you know, ground ourselves, connect with earth and nature. It was tough to take those five days. It's always tough, right? There's always resistance in 
five days away from a business or school, or it was his first five days away from mama. And, and we used to have these things as cultures, these rite of passage events, these opportunities to connect, and of course, more time in nature, outdoors, and so forth. So I think that combined a lot of things for us. We, we leaned into it. We took the trip. We took the opportunity. And it was amazing. And it was transformative, I think, for him, for him as a young man connecting with other young men, uh, for us as a father-son sort of pair. And it, you know, it goes, we're going to get into more how. It gets into some some ways that I think help us start to bring awareness. Nature, time outdoors, these, these things are, are ancient and fundamental. And, and so in that, in that example, in that opportunity, you know, bring me back to where I am now, man, I think back so fondly on that. And, and in that, I can probably also think of other times I, I, I made the opposite choice. Well, we're going to put that off. We'll do that later. Can't do that now. And made choices that weren't in alignment with um, time that's fleeting with the people that are most important to me, the experiences that are the richness of life. So I don't know if any of that helps or helps answer your question, but to me, it's really, you got to tune into those things that feel most strongly for you, whether they're most positive or maybe even uh, most regrettable decisions you wish you kind of could do differently. And, And great. Like there are no real failures. I believe it's all sort of lessons on the path. And so great tune into those strong feelings and do more of of what feels right in your relationships and your choice in life's patterns or paths and reflect on those things that you might've done differently and figure out what to do next time. I think that's a really fabulous answer. Even just taking the, the time and the space to have those thoughts is important because like you were saying, we're inundated with stimulus. And so if you can disconnect and go to nature that in itself is a form of shadow work because when you're left alone with your thoughts, as you know, going on a long run, I'm looking at your video here and you have like a dozen or more medals from, are those Spartan, Spartan races? Yeah. Those are uh, behind me. Those are all Spartan medals. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I know when I'm on a run, that's when a lot of thoughts that I've been avoiding come into my space and (laughs) it's just giving myself that time to be away from my work and away from the responsibilities to have that moment. And I did want to touch on something you had mentioned about going out with another, with a group of men, fathers and sons. Could you touch a little bit on why that is important or beneficial for men today? Yeah, I would love to. Thank you for asking about that. And, and I'll maybe lead into it with just one mention of, since you brought up the, the Spartan racing, which is for anybody who doesn't know, that's a brand of obstacle course racing, which is a, a trail-based running event where you also have obstacles to conquer. It could be anything from going through cold water to climbing a rope, to lifting a heavy rock, uh, crawling under or over something. And they're in, in the, in the Spartan community itself, they have an adult event and they also have a kid's event. So they have an amazing kids community that I think starts running at like three or four years old, right? So they're awesome at at really catering to young children and developing them into this community and and young athletes and active lifestyle. And my son's very involved in that still in the kids category. I'm involved in the, in the adult category. And and I just mentioned it in particular because the, the founder, Joe DeSena, he's, he's very uh, aware and concerted that what he's designed in this is a metaphor for life. 
that these obstacles are like life, right? You're cruising along and all of a sudden you hit this challenge. And in the rules of the race, you have to at least attempt it. So that, that's kind of like life, right? Sometimes we're going to hit these obstacles and we, we climb right over them. And other times you're just running up against it. And it's, uh, it's, it's tough to figure out how to get over or around or under or through. So there's a lot of, there are a lot of lessons in that. And there are a lot of lessons in, in failing. I, I, I believe there's no thing, such thing as failure unless you quit and stop. Failing is, is an opportunity to learn. So I guess if you'll indulge it, I'll, I'll take a, another uh, little bit deeper detour into that, which is a story about my son from a race. We did a Spartan race in Hawaii a couple of years ago and just had an opportunity to, to go back recently. In that last trip to Hawaii a couple of years ago, he was running, he was signed up to run races on Saturday and Sunday. And on Saturday, he took off running at the front of the pack. It was him and another kid in the, in the lead. And he got to, I think it was the second obstacle, which is a vertical rope climb. He loves the rope climb. We have one in our backyard. He practices it all the time. He crushes it. And on that particular day, he just couldn't climb the rope for some reason. Tried once, mm -hmm. failed, tried twice, failed, and then had to opt to do burpees as the as the penalty for the obstacle failure and by that time the other kid was quite far ahead of him now you never know that kid could fail the next obstacle and you catch up and you overtake him but that's not what happened that day michael quit on himself he kind of walked and jogged it out for the rest of the race and he was really upset with with his performance in the end but back to the concept of sort of wins and lessons he that became a milepost for him like what happened there what was going on in my mind when I encountered this hardship? And, and then what would I do differently with it next time? So on the next day, it became a fire that, that drove him and he took first place. But since then, we can always point back to it like, hey, remember that lesson, right? Mm -hmm. And so I mentioned that because I really believe that we're genetically programmed for comfort as a mechanism for survival. But that is a really relative thing, right? That's that's like that fine line between. Uh, I, I just think we're you know we're sort of cave people with clothes on now, right? So it's like that fine line between freezing in the rain or or uh, surviving in a in a shelter, a cave, or something that we found. That's very different than today's level of excess comfort. And although we're still programmed, and maybe I don't know, manipulated by effective marketers and product design companies and so forth to want to just seek more and more comfort. I don't think humans, people find much happiness in excess comfort. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think that's where we end up getting stuck and feeling depressed and feeling disconnected. I really feel like we thrive on challenges and hardship and doing, you know, just doing uncomfortable things. You know, you guys in, in your husband's company, you're really focused on experiences of adversity and then post-traumatic growth. So that, that's where I think these sort of father-son type of events can be very, very important. Meaning we need milestones in our lives. We, we need to be challenged. We need to overcome. And this, is, this has been a cultural tradition that spans history in, in a lot of other cultures, maybe even in our early North American culture, certainly in the native American cultures, but somehow we, we don't really embrace it and practice it as much. 
in, in our modern American culture. And we're missing something there. We're missing a, the coming of age event. We're missing this chance to, to go out and experience, make memories together as, as fathers and as sons. And in that, you know, I don't, I don't just mean like, Hey, let's, um, let's go for a walk. Although that's great in a lot of other ways. I mean, let's go do some epic stuff together. Hopefully that in some ways is a little scary, safe, but scary. Mm -hmm. And let's lean into that fear and see what's on the other side of it and do it together, do it together as men, as young men, as fathers and sons. Uh, I also think there's something else that, that, that uh, a void that that fills there, which is, I, I think we're wired to, we're tribal and I think we're wired for adventure and conquest. Mm-hmm. So when we don't uh, event, invent ways to go do that, right? Cause we have to kind of create these things in, in our modern world. Well, we don't, go after these manufactured crucibles and ways to get through adversity together and grow together as fathers and sons, as, as a tribe of, of men, we, we really miss something and, and we manifest it in other ways. You know, we'll seek conquest some other way. Well, you know, it's, it shows up as again, distractions and addictions. So in a, in a healthy manner, I think we have an opportunity to get out there and fill these these really primal needs together. And I guess the last point I'll just make there is on that point of together, although again, men I believe have a tendency for some reason to wanna be sort of a lone operator, a lone wolf. I really believe that the healthiest men have to foster and find ways to to be part of a pack, to, to find quality time with other men that they connect with deeply. And that can also lead back to some of where we started, which is, okay, can I then start to get more in tune with myself? You know, can I tell my buddy I love him, <laughs> right? Can I connect mm-hmm. emotionally as, as two men or a group of men? We don't have, you know, we don't have that opportunity if, if, we don't, if we don't make it happen, right? By finding these types of events and finding these types of, of men that think similarly, that can spend quality time together. There's so many interesting narratives that are coming into my mind right now. Just that thought of intentionally seeking adversity seems like a weird thing to do because so many of us live in this chronic state of stress that what, why in the world would you seek more stressors? Um, I'm hoping to get on this podcast, Dr. Mike T. Nelson soon to talk more about homeostatic regulators, but, and you're going to touch on one today about breath work, I'm hoping. Um, But just this idea of intentionally putting yourself in actually stressful situations that involve your body, like an entire body-mind stressor, one that is perhaps a peak experience, peak hardship, so that when you go back to your normal life, you experience more gratitude for having a soft bed and being able to eat a hot food and all of this. These things that we take for granted when we're just swimming around in our depressive states of like, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in these four walls and what am I doing with my life? I think it's so great. And I think it's one of the best kept secrets of self-improvement or self-discovery. And like you were saying, it's not a secret to many cultures, but to us in the West, it's something that we've moved away from with all of this convenience. And don't get me wrong, I do enjoy some luxury here and there, right? I'm half Korean and I like my stuff. But when it comes down to it, I mean, I've made post-traumatic growth a way of life. And I'm, 
I used to be a super indoorsy person. Like I grew up in Los Angeles. There was maybe a blade of grass outside. I don't know. Like I was not a nature person. That wasn't really our family. (laughs) And then when I moved to Canada after meeting Jeff, I realized just how much I was missing in being in really hard situations and doing things that scared me. And um, as we're now looking at this dilemma among humans in general, but we'll speak to men today, there's multiple studies out there that are showing that men's testosterone levels have been declining for decades. Why? I'm not sure exactly. I'm sure that information is out. There were some some guesstimates, but um, like this American study in 2007 showed that testosterone levels since the 80s have been declining by about 1% per year. And in um, there was a study in Danish men that showed the same thing. So it's it's a global thing. And I think seeking these these experiences that can can beef us up a little bit, maybe intentionally boosting our hormone levels and doing some of the things that our our male ancestors used to do could be really good for the soul. And so if you could just speak to a little bit about um, how, well, okay, let me back up. I touched a bit on homeostatic regulators, right? Like adding intentional stress, mild stresses to your life so that when you are facing another kind of stress, like being late for work or something that our current society is deemed a stressful situation, we've been nurtured to feel stressed out about, it's it's not that bad. You know, it's outable And sure, you might still be late, but you're not as upregulated. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it back to that. And, and I, I, I know... You know, Dr. Nelson, when he's on, will speak to this in a, in a much more informed capacity than I can. But, you know, like T levels in men, I, I don't know. I mean, we could probably list off a whole bunch of the. Unfortunately, life's not always simple. Biology is not always simple. Body chemistry, you know, it's, it's complex. We want a simple world, but it's a, it's a very integrated system. Even, you know, to pick on something, we make these choices and we think it's a simple choice. Like we're going to all use excessive amounts of hand sanitizer now, and that's going to keep us healthy. But now we're destroying this skin biome. That's part of a, an integrated holistic system. And, and that's got other unintended consequences. And, and probably the same with testosterone levels. Is it, is it what's in our diet? Is it the quality of food products? Is it, is it seed oils? Is it comfort that comes in the fashion of food that's available all the time rather than intermittent fasting that was a necessary way of life long ago. Um, but maybe just simply like, I think getting fired up, you know, probably raises all these kind of levels too. And like, what are we fired up and excited about? Well, again, I, th- I think we get fired up and excited about, about hard stuff when we train ourselves to want to do that. I think it's so important and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll bring this back around and land the, land the plane on breath here in a second. The, um, you know, what, what does like doing hard stuff really mean? I, I think it can mean different things to, to each of us in, in whatever suits our lifestyle and our preferences. So as an example, I, I had a buddy, a man asked me for help a, a couple of weeks ago. And I just kind of shared my journey. And I don't think I did a very good job of explaining the sort of evolution process to a journey like this. Because after we chatted for a while and he gave me the chance to speak, he goes, well, I don't want to run a Spartan race and I don't want to go do a crucible like with a bunch of SEALs or Marines screaming at me. Like, I don't want to do a boot camp event. I don't want, I don't want to be a Navy SEAL. <clears throat> okay. So somehow I did a, a poor job of sort of explaining 
one example <laughs> of a type of I can of imagine. It's, it's probably like, yeah, and then they scream at us and then we're sweating and you want to die. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've had that conversation. Yeah, I showed him a picture of, of being like cut up from head to toe. And I was like, this was awesome. And he's going, what's wrong with you? But right, right after that, I reread Atomic Habits by James Clear. And, and I think he does a great job of explaining the right way to start to approach these, these questions in life are not focusing on what we want or what outcomes we want or, or what we want to be. We need to bring it back to visualizing and tapping into who we want to be and how we want to be and building practices around that. And then the outcomes are going to take care of themselves and they're going to be in alignment with who we are and who we want to be. Right. Which I think is a great mm-hmm. way to think about it. <clears throat> and, and, and in that context, you know, we start to talk about how we start to talk about practices. So what's hard for one person or what's out of their comfort zone is different for another person. So it could be as simple as just taking a walk. I, I think you, you start to look for wherever you have resistance to something in life and go like, you know, not, not it could even be fear, right? But it doesn't even have to be that intense. It could just be resistance. <clears throat> just lean into that resistance. I don't feel like doing that, so do it. Take the hard path. I don't like to make my bed. Well, make your bed in the morning. And start doing that on a consistent basis and see if you start to think differently about the rest of your day or stop hitting snooze because that's something you like to do. Okay, stop doing that or take a cold shower. Just, you know, something and it can be simple and it can be quick, but I also love the the idea of doing it early in the day because it gives you a little win. <clears throat> it gives you a little self-confidence. It gives you a little momentum and then you can start to carry that momentum into other wins throughout your day. So headed back towards breath, you know, another way we can get out of our comfort zones is travel, Mm -hmm. Uh, other places in the world, other cultures, other people, other languages, like that could be uncomfortable. And you can certainly start to experience and learn a lot of new things. Like you're talking about creature comforts that we're used to. I I think of coming home from international travel where I, I love, you know, I learned a lot of new things that I love. Could be new food, could be new dress, culture, music, whatever, but, but also come back with an appreciation for things that I enjoy more at home. Maybe it's my mattress in my bed. Maybe it's a sit down toilet over a squat toilet or something. I, I don't know. Right. So, um, that could be another form of, of leaning into discomfort. W- one of my favorites, and, and this is a, an amazing place to use breath. And then maybe we can talk about some breath practice is an ice bath or a cold plunge. So this is, it, it's, it is a physical experience. In fact, I, I would argue it's a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual experience. It, it just activates so many things in such an intense way. And it's, and it's something that's available to everybody or almost everybody. I'm sure there's some people that need to talk to their health practitioner and find out if it's, it's right for them. But, you know, when you, when you have to overcome everything that your brain and your survival mechanism is telling you about getting in a, in a, a tub of water that's sitting at 31 and a half degrees, getting in and then submerging in and then staying in for a period of time, it, everything in your being is screaming against doing that. And there's so much power in trying to not, not beat that or overcome it necessarily, but to, uh, 
understand it, perceive it, tap into it, be aware of it, uh, be mindful of it, but then take some other action despite that. And one of the best ways you can do that is going back to survival. Everything in our body starts to go into survival mode, fight or flight, elevated heart rate, cortisol levels, breath, right? Our breath starts to get rapid and shallow and high in our lungs. And, you know, we see people all the time breathing vertically, breathing through their mouths. And, and when you can use the power of breath and what it does to our biology, as well as our psychology, you can use it in something like an ice bath, just as you can use it in traffic, as you can use it in a stressful meeting at work, which is, you know, lots of practices around this, but ultimately um, down-regulating that response, activating our parasympathetic nervous system by low, slow nasal breathing. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to see how in almost an instant that can change everything in your psychology, your physiology. And again, it could be somebody cuts you off in traffic, but that ice bath is an amazing type of adversity or growth crucible to practice something like this. And then you get out of it, no matter what your experience was, you get out of it, whether you stayed a second or never got in, or you want to face it differently next time, like that rope climb in Hawaii or whatever it is, you've got an anchor you can go back to, to say, this is how I experienced it. This is how I showed up and this is how I want to grow. That is exactly one of the key the key tenets of post-traumatic growth is needing is finding intentionally finding meaning in the sucky thing that just happened so i have this theory and it's not very well thought out so i apologize if this doesn't make sense but after something traumatic happens to you or just something poopy happens to you you don't climb the rope i would subscribe to placing a positive meaning on that as soon as possible. It works for me because it anchors myself in in a reason why it happened other than it just happened and it sucks and woe is me. And then after that, I can process some of the emotions and some of the more shadowy aspects of integrating trauma into my life. But I found that, yeah, finding that meaning, finding that reason why why that was for me, not done at me, seems to be really helpful. So if we were to dive more into the cold water therapy, cold water immersion and breath work, like when you decide to do it for the first time, is it enough to just do it once? Like, do you have that impact or does it require multiple reps? Like how magical is this process? So one, there's so much out there around just the physiological benefits of of cold water, right? On metabolism, on circulation, and and so forth. Just to make a footnote here, the contrast and, and like jumping between the extremes as well. So heat exposure Mm. and some science coming out around heat shock proteins and the supportive immune system with, with that training practice also, also awesome. And then you can combine, right? We can do hot and then cold. So with, with cold, my, my understanding is you can start to get some immediate benefits. And I, I believe, and from what I've heard and from what I've read and the research out there, you can also continue to get additional benefits as you practice it on a regular basis. And amazing stuff, right? Physiologically, uh, nervous system-wise, vagus nerve, which connects kind of everything and including digestion and gut health. And right, that's a whole nother sort of holistic health topic. It's amazing how all this stuff connects because again, we're integrated beings. We're not as 
simple as the sum of the parts we, we like to try to believe. But if I just think about it from a, uh, this going back to this practice of who we are, how we grow as humans, how we show up as men, parents, leaders, fathers, uh, husbands, or, you know, young people developing, I think even just one time in, in doing a cold water immersion practice can be profound and can leave you with, with lessons that, like you said, I love what you said about attaching meaning to, and then applying that somewhere else. Because again, we're on a path. We're growing. Hopefully we're growing all the time. So uh, do you mind if I share another, uh, another example of this with, with yes, my son please. that I think is really cool? Yeah. So he's had three major sort of ice bath experiences. And these are all through manufactured, you know, crucible experiential events that, that we went to, to just find ways to do fun stuff. And, and, and that's part of it, right? Is like show up with a smile and, and, and look at it as an opportunity. I get to dot, dot, dot. I get to go on an ice bath. I get to do an all night ruck. Next month I'm doing with some other guys a 24 hour, put as many miles as we can in ruck for a veteran charity. And I, I get I get to rock for 24 hours, right? So we can start to mm -hmm. change how we look at everything in our day with gratitude and appreciation and embrace that suck, right? So uh, quick, quick drive by on my son's three ice bath experiences. One was at an event where we were meant to get in an ice tub together and then as quickly as possible, hold your breath and submerge your entire body, face, head, everything under the water for about 10 seconds. They tap and, and you come out. So just getting in an ice bath, like standing there facing it is one thing. You're watching other people do it. You know, the the fear, everything is 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 bubbling up in your system. And then you actually have to get in. And once you get in and you feel how cold it is, now you've got to convince yourself to actually submerge. And there's a whole physiological mammalian response thing that happens when you're cold, your face hits the cold water. Well, we got in and he never was able to get himself to submerge. I, you know, again, we can take away lessons and, and development points. I could have done a better job of coaching him. I had some other amazing coaches around us and they worked with him for a number of minutes as well and just couldn't get him there. What's the win and all that? Well, he stayed in that ice longer than anybody else. The rest of us were in it for, you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds in submerge out. Gosh, he was in there for like five to seven minutes. And this was a, you know, in-person experience, but it was also broadcast. And I had people reaching out afterwards that I didn't even know. Oh my gosh, that was you guys. That was your son. I was brought to tears, like just watching him there and watching the emotions bubble up. Right. So that was his first uh, sort of anchor to that practice. And then we went to a, a father, son, you know, sort of rite of passage event this past January. And this one is a little bit different. It's an ice bath where you get in and you submerge, if you can, all the way up to your chin, your shoulders are under, and you just hang out there for a number of minutes until they bring you out. And you're using a breath and a concentration practice, ideally, during that. Well, as soon as we got in, emotionally, he went right back to being very upset, you know, almost coming to tears, thinking back to that first experience. And what I, we ended up doing was just trying to interrupt that pattern and took him away from ball, you know, starting to ball and, and going to tears, being upset about the, the pain and how it hits your body and your soul and your emotions, right? It's, it's shocking. 
And, and so we just directed it into anger almost like a fire where we're, we're in the same big ice tub looking back and forth at each other, like eye to eye contact. And we just started into this primal sort of scream back and forth, call and response. And, and he's like, you know, dropping F bombs and this whole deal. And, uh, and in that fire, he got through it. It was awesome. And I thought it was super powerful. And, but of that, you know, ultimately maybe a five minute experience of pre, you know, in and then out, uh, a video came out of that maybe, you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds where he's just like, you know, screaming profanities. And I, I look back in, on it in the full context because I experienced the whole thing with them. And it's, it's, it's really powerful for me because I, I, I saw the whole journey. I was part of the whole journey. But for somebody, it's, it's like a comment on social media, right? For, for those little snippets that we see out of context, oh gosh, like, you know, here's a young man. Is that how he would want to show up as a leader? He's involved in leading all these other kids in things like his daily burpee challenge and the Spartan community. And he's a Spartan ambassador for Mexico. And it just, it brought a lot of things to question. Here's how that became another sort of guidepost. We went back to that same event uh, just recently and he, he wasn't beating himself up anymore about how he showed up last time or what was a win or what was a failure. It just became a different intention. This time my intention is to go into that ice bath with poise and with calm. And man, he did it. He got in, he crushed it. Uh, and, and he was smiling the whole time and go back to that, you know, idea of gratitude for a practice and, and we can smile and convince our brain that we're happy and having fun. And so the whole time he was just bouncing up and down a little bit with a smile on his face going like, this is great. This feels great. This feels great. And he was, he was a champ. So I don't know if that comes back around to your question, but I think it's an example of how we can start to use each of these things, whether it's one time, whether it's a series of times, even if you just took away that first ice bath experience to go back and show up to school a little bit differently. What felt like it was hard yesterday is now completely possible because you had this other experience that, that you went through and you survived. <laughs> In fact, you thrived and, and you grew because of it. And now the rest of life gets a little easier. That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, at back at the beginning of this, we had talked a little bit about that existential question of who am I? What am I here to do? One of these big ones that a lot of people are asking themselves right now, but especially young men and everybody, you know, I'm just going to say everybody. And I think that when you do experiences like that, you realize that something as simple and as normal as breathing is just so precious and it brings us all the way back to I'm a human being and sometimes breathing is why I'm here. I had this ayahuasca experience where I straight up thought I was going to die and I almost wanted to die. It was a it was an interesting feeling to almost be giving up. So scary, so painful. I had no concept of anything other than turmoil which actually was my intention going into it. I wanted to feel the pain of the world so that I could I could resonate with it on a certain level in my work. And there's this little voice. It was a big booming voice. <laughs> I shouldn't say little. A big booming voice in my in my soul that said be, you're here because you can breathe. And I didn't I don't know how to 
relay that in a logical way now that I'm talking about it. I'm out of this altered state, just having a normal conversation with you. Mm -hmm. But when I do things like cold water immersion or I'm going through a plant medicine experience, it always brings me back to the, the sacredness of breath. And we hear people talk often about how breathing up in your chest is not good for you and all that stuff, but it seems to be one of these things that you can know logically, but when you really integrate it and need breath to get you through something, it's it's not as meaningful until you've had that experience of like, wow, breathing is so important. It may be the reason why I'm here. And I think that connecting to your intuition, uh, using your breath to connect to your intuition is like the number one way to get into tune with what you really want and why you're here. I, I fully agree and, and believe in that. And even just to make a note on breath, I would admit or recognize that there's no one size fits all. There's no singular answer for every person in every situation, right? These are, we're, we're just learning. And a lot of this is ancient wisdom. Most of it, if not all of it is ancient wisdom. Maybe we're relearning it or repackaging it or different experts focus on different elements of it under, under their brand name. But like to give you a couple quick examples, I had a, a, a buddy and a coach, we were talking about box breathing recently, right? So a, a slow nasal inhale, exhale with a, with a hold uh, in between the inhale and exhale at the top and the bottom, if you will. And, and he made the comment to me that every breath practice has pros and cons. And I go, what do you mean by that? And he said, you know, I found that in box, in, in, practicing extended box breathing very regularly. He said, I started to notice that just day-to-day life, I was holding my breath. Mm. Wow. Like that's interesting. And I started to have the same awareness. I started realizing I was holding my breath fairly frequently and I've, you know, I've just become uh, aware of it. And now I can start to figure out like, what does that mean for me? Is that, is that intentional? Is it being used in the right place or, or right time? Or, you know, I've, I've heard, uh, I've heard your husband, Jeff mentioned that where box breathing might be a really calming and effective tool for a lot of people. He was taught and used it in a different context. It's now associated for him with stress and and trauma. And so it doesn't have the same association anymore. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's, I I think awareness is, is a great way to just focus on that is let's learn, let's learn some different techniques. Let's learn where they might be situation situationally appropriate, but let's also, have the the grace with ourselves to understand that these things change over time or they differ by person. So uh, I love that concept that ultimately we're, we're really just here to breathe mm. because when we stop breathing, we're, we're not going to be here anymore in the, in the same form. You, you might say that the breath is the spirit and the soul and vice versa, mm-hmm. right? Because we're, we're here uh, as long as we're breathing. The, what, what I, th- I thought of two things when you, when you mentioned that, that might be interesting to share. One is, I think you guys might know Patrick Sweeney, the, the fear guru, he calls himself. So he specializes in, in fear and how to use fear as a, as a tool, a fuel, as he says. He was, a, he was an Olympic level rower <clears throat> athlete earlier in life. And he was telling me about a conversation he had with one of the trainers at the Olympic Center. And he had this question. Like when you've got this place, it's full of world-class athletes. Some of us medal and some of us don't. Some of us just don't make it to the podium, but we're all at that level of, of physical talent. By the time we get here, what's the difference? What's the differentiator? And what he said the trainer told him was, the difference is when things get hard, 
and you take that next breath. And after that breath, there's even just a little bit of space. It comes down to the quality of our thoughts that we curate in that space. So if life is all breath and maybe breath and then what happens next, if we're really just here to, you know, for the next breath, then what's the quality of what we do after the gift of that very next breath? So when you thought you were literally going to die in this plant medicine experience, I went through a, I've done a couple really cool um, sort of death focused uh, practices or, or rituals. So, so one was just a, just a, a meditation, a visualization, <clears throat> you know, sitting in, sitting and breathing and sitting in silence. <clears throat> and um, you mentioned intuition, just tuning into um, some people call it obituary exercise. You know, what, what would I want if I fast forward my life to be like at the end and be remembered for, and how was I, and who was I, and how did, how did I, how did I impact others? What would they say about me? What would they remember about me? And, and the second exercise I did similar to that, you know, at a supervised event in a safe manner, add like the, the caveat because we live in that kind of world, is I, I did a very similar event where the culmination of that became very literal. So we then got out shovels, dug our own graves, laid down in a body bag in those, in those simulated graves, got zipped up in the body bag and uh, some, some guys threw some dirt on top of us and, and laid there for a period of time. And like, oh my gosh, what an extreme way to contemplate this. <laughs> you know, some, someday I'll be here for real, hopefully not very soon, but we got sort of, you know, one day, one life. We never know when it's coming. What an amazing way to just be there and contemplate that same question of, of who do I want to be for the rest of my days? At the same time, when I go back to where my breath journey started from a, a, a breath anxiety attack, a, a stressful event around breath and everything since then has been trying to redirect it somewhere in a calming, positive growth sort of way, getting zipped up in a plastic bag that's airtight and having dirt thrown on top of you and not sure how long you're going to be there, you know, adds stress. And so it was an extreme opportunity to do nothing but just focus on the next breath mm, and be that's calm creepy. and inhale mm. and exhale and just breathe. So good. I love that. Yeah, I think that there is this misconception around around awakening and spirituality that it is needs to be this calm and and beautiful and peaceful meditative kind of practice. We need to heal before we do hard things or something like that. And um what I'm really loving about this conversation is just this focus on how masculinity has its own spiritual expression as well. You know, that's a lot of what I'm hearing from you, you know, with the topic of toxic masculinity coming into our, our awareness, maybe, you know, a couple of years ago is really talked about quite a lot. I think, unfortunately, a lot of these experiences have been lumped into that, you know, really macho events, you know, screaming at each other, running fitness, all this stuff. But there's so much heart that's involved with this. And you're right. It's part of our lineage is part of our ancestry. A lot of us are descendants of warriors. And that doesn't just go away now that we're not in the military or whatever. And what I wanted to ask you about that is on the topic of mastery as a spiritual experience, 
Um, how does that play into, well, actually, let me back up, uh, legacy. You know, you're talking about lying in that body bag and contemplating what do I want to be known for now that I don't exist on this human plane. I think that that's a big reason why so many people are fearing death so greatly right now. It's because they're not leaving a legacy behind that they would be proud of. So they want to extend their mortal life here. But legacy is a, a level of immortality in a way. And I think that I... Um, Think that you're into legacy correct me if i'm wrong but that's part of what you you ex- explore in your work right it, it really is and, and thanks for asking that question because it, it does bring it back to a really important point i i, I think ultimately that that's what it's all about and, and i don't mean it from the vantage point of ego right like how are people going to remember me what is it about me that was special i think what's special is we can have that sort of multi-generational view of of life and the world like how would we treat the world differently if we had to think about the native american concept of seven generations ahead what would it look like you know or or for how am i crafting my son and and how is he going to show up for his son my grandchild great-grandchildren it just brings such a different perspective on how we can serve the people in the world around us so I think about if I share it anecdotally, I, I don't know. I just love stories and I think it's a great way to just, you know, talk about concepts. And and it also touches on your point of like, you know, masculinity or what's what's right for society and what's right for each individual. So one of the the recent training events I went to is a, a 75 hour crucible. <clears throat> and what you see from the outside. I mean, the only thing you see is what goes out in marketing stuff and videos and social media. So you see the ver- the stuff that looks very physical. A- and it is uh, because, and I think this is some of what you guys do in your events too, is y- you create suffering and through suffering comes the opportunity to face things in, in and about yourself. Mm. So I don't know how much you plug Jeff and, and the special forces experience on, on this, but I never do. So you, go you ahead. Guys have a video. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a video from serial two that I have watched so many times and I share mm-hmm. with anybody I can. And it's the gentleman who was the last So serial two was a dark class. And it's the, the guy who was there last and by himself for, I think maybe 24 hours but there's a, there's a short video out where the cadre are, they're, they're pounding him with a question of why he's there. And it's a super emotional video to watch if, if you attach to that. And I think that that's, that's the question, right? That we're all here about is, is why we go back to, to just like cognitively pondering that. I don't think you're going to answer the question of, of why you're here and what your purpose is and what fulfills you and how to align to all that and what fires you up by just thinking about it. Like you got to feel it. You got to get into those raw moments where you get broken down and you are bleeding, suffering, sweating, or just uncomfortable. Maybe it's the ice bath. Maybe it's getting off the chair and walking for the first time in years, right? Whatever it is, when you can start to face some friction, some suffering, then you can start to feel more and feel into these questions. So when I think about legacy and why what it is and why it's so important and how it it goes back to wanting to grow every day and be a little better and try to show up better this pursuit of mastery a destination i'll never reach none of us will ever reach but getting better 
to take it back to that event, what I wanted to share was what you don't see in anything public of the event that I just went to is we also spent a lot of time in the room, doors closed, cameras off, uh, even the junior cadre out of the room. And we talked about some super emotional, powerful stuff, people crying, tapping back into childhood, traumas, just being willing to share this with other men that you just recently got to know. But now you've connected, right? Go back to the importance of tribe and other men, the trust to be vulnerable with each other and, and share the deepest things that trouble us and upset us and we're still carrying and haven't healed from. Well, those things that we keep, like the emotions that we just keep compartmentalizing and don't face those shadows that we're not willing to feel into, to cleanse, to clear, to heal, they just keep showing up over and over again in our behaviors. It's how we manifest those same outcomes over and over again, or those same relationships. And, you know, whether you talk about it epigenetically or just modeling, like I'm convinced that if we don't heal ourselves, improve ourselves and grow ourselves, then we're just, we're selfishly putting the same burden or responsibility or challenge onto our children to clear it for us because they're going to manifest the same thing again. And what's, here, here's a great way to encapsulate all this is at that event I'm mentioning, all five of the instructors have major traumatic stuff in their past relative, related to their fathers. And around the room of, of my class of myself and 11 other guys, 12 guys, I believe that was 100% true as well. That there are, whether it's uh, father was lost traumatically in, in, in an accident or a crime or a disintegrated relationship or abusive situation with the father or the primary important male role model in their life. And, and I've gotten a chance to meet other guys that have gone through that same experiential event and, and some guys that are candidates for upcoming classes. And I keep asking the question, like, who here has daddy issues? It's like almost every single one of us. And so it, it just occurred to me recently, we never talked about this as we found ourselves drawn to want to go do something hard like this to then go back better for our wives, families, children, business partners, whomever, that so much of this seems to go back to something that was missing or unhealthy related to a father or a male figure in our past. So cast that forward, right? It becomes so important. We talk about legacy. We're going to leave a legacy. It's just up to us what type of legacy we choose to leave. And I'm just a believer wholeheartedly that this concept of mastery, this concept of growing, healing, getting better is our way and our responsibility to leave the type of legacy, the positive legacy we would like, that a, a gift rather than a burden to our children and future generations. Wow. Yeah, that really that really puts a rite of passage in my mind a little differently. You you would intuited, you as a group individually intuited, I require some sort of rite of passage because that is the journey of becoming a man. That that's the event of becoming a man. And if your relationship with the masculine or an authority figure was distorted in some way, then as a grown man now, you're like, I need to have this experience. I need to have that because I don't want my son. I want to be a chain breaker. I want my son to right. be the whole man that he deserves to be. 
I also liked that you had mentioned that mastery is unattainable. I think that's really interesting. Um, I did a podcast on the shadow of indifference, which transforms into the gift of versatility. And in my podcast, I go, I do these comparisons of a shadow state and a gift state, right? Um, I never talk about the Siddic state. It's a third part of shadow work um, from the Gene Keys perspective that talks about the highest level of that gift. They call them yogic superpowers. They're things like invincibility, invisibility, infinitesimal, you know, boundlessness, all these things. I'm like literally becoming invisible. And one of them is mastery. And that's going from versatility, being that gift of being able to do lots of things that turns into this yogic superpower, this unattainable gift state, highest level of consciousness of mastery. And in that mastery, you've transcended talent. You've transcended everything. It's like the highest form of consciousness. Think like Buddha. You know, he was a master. That was it. And so I think it's really neat that you have this podcast and this group of men that are on a journey to attain something that's unattainable, knowing that destination is not the deal not the deal it's the process it's the journey to get there yeah i love the way you said that really you know we we mentioned early on success people men that think they they feel like they're already there they feel like they already reached success success itself is a journey it's a process it's mm-hmm. usually a process of many failures that then result in some point in time that we call success but it's only a point in time somebody described to me the other day and I love this, this way of thinking about it is we, we can observe physically our physical universe, that it is expanding, right? It's literally expanding. So why wouldn't we think about our, our growth and our goals the same way? They're always expanding. They're always getting more challenging and, and as a result, more fulfilling. So I, I, I believe, you know, you go t- tap into any sort of what we would perceive as a master, whether it's a, a master violinist, or a martial arts practitioner or a tennis player, they wouldn't say, I, you know, I, I've, I've reached perfection. Mastery mm-hmm. or success or expertise, these are all very different than perfection. There's no such thing, right? And so that's why they continue to practice because there's always things to get better at, to try differently, to learn new. So practice to me is such a powerful word. This is what it comes back to is we're all on a path, some path, and and in different places on it, right? We all just have different levels of relative experience in different things, but we're all on a on a on a journey, on a path, and the best thing we can do is just keep practicing. And so, yeah, it's all about daily practice of the things that further that that growth journey. Love it. So I'm going to end this off with a question that our director, we're working on a documentary right now on post-traumatic growth. I think you know that. And um, he always asks this at the end of our interviews. And I like it, so I'm going to steal it. Thanks, Zachary Montgomery. If you could see any change in the world, one change in the world, what would you like it to be? I knew you were going to throw me a tough one, and it's so existential. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I'm going to pick a word and, and let me say a little bit about it because maybe, you know, maybe it's going to carry some meaning in different ways. I, I'm going to say more courage. And to me, courage is, is a meaningful word because 
And, and the reason I think it would be so impactful for our lives, our families, communities, world, universe, whatever you, call, you know, whatever you call it, is in one sense, it could be considered the opposite of fear or acting despite fear. And that ties right back to everything we've been talking about. Fear is an amazing data point or signal of something that's important, important to face, lean into, experience. And so with adversity, with facing fear, the idea of post-traumatic growth, I think we develop more and more courage. And with more courage or confidence or momentum or however you want to think about that, I am hopeful and optimistic and believe that we'll have the ability to just do more hard things for ourselves in service to our families and our community and world to make it a better place. And if each of us were doing that, if each seven or eight billion of us were showing up with just a little more courage in our day to take the hard way to do something that is going to serve somebody else that's beyond ourselves, beyond our comfort zone, like imagine the impact that we could have that one little positive change for ourselves starts to ripple. And if we have the synergy of all the human beings in this world, having just a little more courage in their day, gosh, what, what kind of world would that be? It'd be amazing. Thank you for that. So Michael, to close us out here, where can people find you and are you working on anything that they might be able to join? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for the question and, and the opportunity to share that. So I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, it's an amazing, powerful chat. We could probably go on for a long time mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm hopeful to get you over onto my podcast and we'll explore your expertise further. Love to, to learn more from you. So the place that people can find me if, if this discussion resonated and, and the style and they want to tap in more. So I do have the podcast. It's the Man of Mastery podcast. Again, it's that mastery journey that we focus on. It's on all the major podcast platforms. I do have a website, so that's a super easy place to just launch off of all this. It's manofmastery.com. Uh, you can find links there to social media, which is at the man of mastery. Primarily, um, I'm active on Instagram. So super uh, interested in connecting with people. People can feel free to not only track me down and see what I'm doing, but reach out, shoot me a DM and, and let's see if we, we connect. I do work with, I mentioned early on, kind of my, my corporate career is uh, in the executive consulting space, but this mastery journey, I, I do work with, with men through individual coaching and I am soon launching uh, some group coaching, some group, small groups of men working together, which it's amazing to connect one-on-one -on -one with somebody as a coach, I think, you know, as you know, but there's also such power in, in groups of accountability of learning from and to and with each other. And it, it also comes back to that, that mission to create tribes and men's men connecting deeply and having these experiences together. So manofmastery.com at the man of mastery on Instagram uh, reach out. Let's just chat. Love to hear your feedback on this episode or mine if you tune in. And if there's something I might help with in terms of, of getting unstuck or any of these concepts we talked about today, uh, whether it's through coaching, group coaching, which is coming out soon, um, or, you know, just got a question, then I'd love to hear from people. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michael. You have a great day and let's connect again sooner than later. All right. Please. Thank you so much. It's been an honor.